Okay, uh, welcome to episode two of Let's Be Careful Out There, a cop rock podcast. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Johnny, and Mike is joining me again. Say hi, Mike. Hello. Really bad at this. We have to work <laughs> on our intros. Mm. Uh, we just watched episode two of Cop Rock, and um, I was a little underwhelmed. I found it much more watchable than the last episode, which I think in I, this show is actually a negative. No, I thought that I thought there was a disappointing downturn in quality. It was much worse, <laughs> much more entertaining as a result. But that was um, that. I yeah, maybe they. I think they threw everything they had into the terrible pilot. And then this is like the B-side of Cop Rock. You could tell they had less money to spend. Like there were far less action sequences and far less use of extras. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, they put a lot of money into the first episode to really make an impact. And now they're settling into like a more reasonable budget and probably time constraints as well. So it's, it's a less flashier episode. Definitely much more more boring. Yeah. And... uh I'm pointless. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I, I think we should just go and and kind of parse this episode linearly. Start from the beginning and just give a synopsis, <clears throat> and then maybe. Yeah. Well, why don't we we can why don't we just sort of briefly recount the pilot and how it leads into this. Sure. You have uh, they do a bust. They let the guys out the next day. Cop gets shot. Uh, LaRusso, one of the stars, ends up killing one of the guys who was let out of jail, right. but he was unarmed, and they're covering it up. Yeah. Uh, you have the two two partners, and they, they, they're attracted to each other, but one of them's married. She has a husband, so so that doesn't really go anywhere else in the last episode, but I, I guess they, they kind of hint at it here. Yep. Um, and oh, and yeah, and then the, the cop... Yeah, so this episode begins... With the funeral of the cop who was killed in the last episode. Yes. And this is tremendously ineffective for several <laughs> reasons. Uh, first of Enumerate all... Enumerate them for me, please. First of all, because I think in the last episode, there were at least two scenes where there's a press conference about this cop getting killed. Yeah. And then I think there's an, another press conference. There's two, two parts where they're addressing, I think, that this has happened. Yeah, um, and it's a character we never meet. He's not a character. He's just... I he, don't know if he had... He maybe had one line in the first... No, I think he just rolls out of the cop car, like, clenching his chest, and yeah. I think that's it. He just gets shot. And... Yeah. But he has a name. Gilbert Grape Gilbert, or something. Yeah, Gilbert Braden or Gilbert... <laughs> sounds like Gilbert Grape. And so it doesn't, it doesn't work because you... The episode begins with... All of our friends that we've gotten to know from the first episode of Cop Rock at this funeral for a fallen comrade who we never cared about and we don't remember what he looks like even. We haven't met his family. We don't care that we're at this emotional tribute, first of all. And second of all, this is the third time we've seen, you know, bad guy from Robocop up there addressing <laughs> up there addressing the the death of this cop. So it's just it's like, okay, we're still we're still on this this topic. It doesn't I don't care. I didn't care that that's how the episode started it has no emotional resonance when it's someone you don't know not even when his partner steps to eulogize him to a sexy sax solo and gospel song not even now this is where this is where the show just immediately uh 
Um, we talked in the last episode about how tonally strange this show <laughs> is, how when they launch into songs, it can be so jarring and strange compared to the, the cop show that was just starting. But the way this song starts is his partner goes up after the, the, um, the chief of police uh, says his eulogy. His partner goes up to speak. And before he opens his mouth, it cuts to a guy walking into the church playing a saxophone. <laughs> it's not a saxophone comes in to begin the song. Yeah. It's that it cuts to a guy with, I think he's wearing shades. Yeah. And he starts playing this uh, loud saxophone while everyone's just sitting there in a church. And then the guy starts singing about his partner. And it just, that cut to the guy playing a saxophone yeah. to begin his partner's eulogy just sums up perfectly how this show periodically goes completely <laughs> off the rails it is absolutely ridiculous it is unsalvageably bad tv making i i won't disagree with you but as i said shortly after we concluded watching before we started up the podcast i felt the songs in this episode were actually better songs. I don't think they serve the show as like quote unquote well as the first episode, but I think the quality of the music is better. The instrumentation's still terrible. There's still sexy sax solos. There's still awful electric piano that sounds like a Doogie Howser interlude. It sounds a bit like like a like a Wesley Willis keyboard riff like pre-recorded on something like i did not i don't remember any of the songs i've immediately forgotten them all i think we have to disagree about the music in this i'm not saying that they're episode. good songs i'm saying that they're better than the first episode songs and it could be we really should have done the research could be because the second episode doesn't involve randy newman so much yeah it looks like all the songs in this episode were composed by five people because i guess five nobodies equals one randy <laughs> newman and they they just they do sound very generic i can still sort of remember songs from the first episode they had a rap they had the uh, gospel song they had the steve the miller Piel, they had the steve miller one yeah but this one there was a lot more just seemed a lot more slow Slow and plodding and emotional and sad. There was no yeah. Steve Miller song about corruption at City Hall. <laughs> that that uh, yeah, nifty little riff. True. So uh, the the eulogy ends, and I think we cut to the title card, the same awful title card, and then. Uh, oh wait! I just one thing I gotta say. Another thing that sucks about that <laughs> eulogy is there's a scene where the sax player does a long solo. Yeah. And the shot just stays on the face <laughs> of the partner who's not singing now because it's a solo. Yeah. And he's just making weird grimacing uh, expressions because he's maybe a bit emotional. But it's just his face for about 20 seconds while the sax solo happens. And he's just kind of, if there was no sound, you would just hear like. <laughs> it's so bad. It doesn't even cut to anyone else listening to this, this, uh, this song. It's just him. Yeah. Just his face, not able to even uh, lip sync to anything. It's just so badly done. And then you've got it. Then afterwards, it does cut to other people in the audience who all look really sad about the song that is playing when you can't separate the fact <laughs> that a cop has been killed and this is a funeral from the fact that a man is wailing on a saxophone and all these people are pretending that doesn't exist and it's not weird. 
so we we were watching this show with with a, an additional member. Uh, my girlfriend was was sitting with us uh, while we were watching, and her question was, if the people in the audience of the people watching the funeral and experiencing the eulogy, are they aware that the eulogy is being sung? And are they aware of the sax solo? Or is that something only the viewers see? Or are they part of this? Like, is that music diegetic? Maybe I'm getting it's, off. No, it's a, it's a very good existential question about the universe. <laughs> it's an existential question about the universe of cop rock that, that never gets asked about other musicals because you take it for granted. They live in a universe where songs break out. But in cop rock, the reason, one of the reasons this show fails is because you're watching it and there's always a part of you that is thinking, did they think someone's turned a stereo on or that there's a full band playing? It's, yeah. That's why, like we said in the first episode of this, it's just so jarring. Yeah. And it kind of, it's almost an insult to all of the drama that happens during, you know, this is a funeral for a dead cop. Even if he's a character we we barely remember the name of and I don't know what he looks like, he still died and you, you kind of, now you have a sax player like, yeah. just a, just a, just a, I mean, remember how I said musicals were the lesser medium? This yes. is just the perfect. This is the perfect example of what I'm talking about. It's like that sax player may as well have come, just come into that church and bash me over the back of the head with his saxophone to make it absolutely goddamn clear that now is the time for us to feel sad. You don't need it. It's a funeral and everyone's crying, but they're like, no. Now we also need to add a song by the partner crying up at the podium while the saxophone player plays. I'm sorry, I'm overcome. <laughs> I, I, but I will say of the funeral song, at least, at least it fills, or at least it's employed for emotional effect. I think we can argue like how effectively it was done or how successful it was, but there's a lot of really awful songs in cop rock that seem to exist only to fill time at least with the funeral it's a sad moment the audience is meant to feel something and the song is meant to kind of amplify those emotions it it still has a place structurally within the show it doesn't seem yeah, tacked on i agree i think he sings something like i regret i never got to tell you well, that i loved, I loved you. you it's like okay he hasn't said anything about his partner dying yet. We yeah. know he's messed up by it because in the first episode, the uh, the captain is like, take some time off from a desk. I don't want you out there. So you're right. Especially, this is a very marked contrast to the rest of the songs in the episode where you just immediately think this is not necessary. This is pointless. I, Why is there a song happening now? I'm almost ashamed to admit, but I think in every other song that played, we just started chatting like, like it might be boring. about the show, but as soon as a song would come on in this show, you could tell we just tuned out. Like they just were so uninteresting that we couldn't even make ourselves watch the show and just started talking amongst ourselves t until the song ended. So we could kind of get back on track with the show. Yeah. It's just, it's these songs function as a sort of boring interlude into a cop show that is already mediocre it's mediocre and it's dated badly so it's fun to watch because you got these <laughs> you've always got these sort of macho cops like you've got the corrupt cop who's who's trying to uh, get away with 
literally murdered <laughs> for having killed an unarmed uh, uh, cop killer. And then the uh, the captain who wants who knows that he's lying and wants to bring him down. And they're just you know they're they're sort of talking in that New York gritty New York accents and which is weird because it's and in waving LA. fingers in the, oh yeah okay <laughs> LA wherever it is yeah. that gritty cop American cop accent they're waving fingers in each other's faces and saying like and one more thing and, and all that and it's just it's really cheesy and then you're like I just want to see uh, I want to see what happens next this is kind of bad and fun and then a character just starts singing in her nightgown about and, something and you just tune out yeah just it's, no no back to back to LaRusso back to the back to LaRusso uh, so um so uh, title card happens right after the funeral, and uh, I think we get into the meat of the episode, which is all about the captain, I believe Captain Hollander, and his sort of Ahab-like quest to take down LaRusso <laughs> uh, and kind of root out the corruption within his, within his precinct. Mm-hmm. Oh, just LaRusso, really, I think. is. But some people are... Oh, they're implicated in it. Yeah. Yes, his partner is his partner is claiming that uh, uh, he's on Larusso's side, but yeah. it doesn't quite scan. And the sad the, uh, George forensic, Costanza yeah. forensic, uh, yeah, f- uh, forensics McGee <laughs> investigator. Is, uh, yeah, he doesn't he does he doesn't like Larusso, but he wants to put away. He doesn't want some a cop to get in trouble for killing a cop killer. So, yeah, yeah, the whole phrase cop killer seems really 90s to me i i don't know that it's something people say anymore it, it seems very like moral panic 1990s yeah like everyone's afraid of nwa and <laughs> like yeah like i i like in robocop when robocop books the bad guy he's like what are you booking for and robocop says he's a cop killer yeah, yeah. and you know it's because robocop is the cop <laughs> who got killed by him but i remember that i remember in uh, i think lethal weapon 3 they have bullets that they call cop killers because they go through cops' body yeah, armor. Yeah, yeah, so you're yeah. right, it was definitely a thing because I think it, it was just... I remember vaguely, I think even asking my mom at the time when I was like 13, 14, watching <laughs> yeah. action movies, like, why do they keep saying cop killer and everyone's kind of shocked and she's like, well, it's it's worse when you kill a cop than a normal person. <laughs> like in a, your average everyday schmuck, like a, you can't kill a cop. Whereas I think yeah. now in the, the sort of um, uh, jaded 21st century, we're like, well, you know, maybe cops are more likely to get killed. <laughs> they do a dangerous thing. But, but back then we were like, no, that shouldn't, that shouldn't happen. Yeah. That's- yeah. I, I, I was really struck by how often people say cop killer in this show. And then, and how I mean, they are cops. So they don't like cop killers. For but, sure. But, but they yeah. also like spit the phrase out yeah. like it's the N-word. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like they're really, you know, it, there's a lot of like bile behind it. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's, it's the gritty 90s bile of like this is, this is a particularly bad crime and we have to keep saying the name of the crime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> First degree cop killing. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... Uh, there's also kind of a weird B plot that I don't think really gets resolved. Um, and it's kind of, it feels a little tacked on, um, two of our beat cops, uh, the partners that share a mutual attraction, um, go to 
I guess, respond to uh, a, a robbery. Robbery. Yeah. Robbery at a, a an obnoxious wealthy couple's house. They're just listing off the things that have been stolen. Yeah. And yeah. it's really blatantly obvious that you're supposed to not be sympathetic because they say things like, we, we've been robbed of our $15,000 champagne bottle holder yeah, device yeah. and... <laughs> and also paintings and uh and you you're not supposed to be sympathetic. It's one of the weird politics of this show where it's kind of making a you know a cops it cops don't make a lot of money and these rich obnoxious people do. Yeah. Um also it's a it's also a really cool time capsule uh moment with the rich 90s people. It's very uh very Beetlejuice. Like, yeah, yeah. Whatever kind of fashion, like Catherine O'Hara and uh, that guy who ended up being a pedophile, <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey Jones. Is yeah, that, is Jeffrey that? something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's very indicative of a, a very specific time and place. Yeah. I, I was thinking of uh, Daryl from, from Kids in the Hall. Uh, although, yeah. It's although like I big don't... purple pants and jacket the guy's wearing. For and... sure. Yeah, yuppies, 90s wealthy yuppies um, sort of stereotype Yeah, in that part of the show. So, and so, yeah, the two partners go upstairs with the distraught um, one of the homeowners and she she's angry and is like, I have to go make some phone calls. And then they start, a song kicks in. The most pointless time <laughs> to sing a song. It, it doesn't advance the plot at all. You really don't care. And they start singing about how they wish they were as wealthy as this rich couple whose house they're investigating, but they're having fun with it. Yeah. They, they appear in the rich couple's clothes yeah. and they're smiling and laughing and like, wouldn't it be great if we had one VCR each? <laughs> yeah, it's my favorite VCRs. line. Yeah. Totally. Or, one for uh, you and one for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A big color screen TV. Yeah. Uh, yeah. With a remote. With a remote. Yeah, it begins was- with them pointing a remote at the TV. Like, I wish I had one of these. <laughs> I get up every single time. And uh, and it first of all, this scene fails miserably because in the first episode, you're introduced to these two characters by the man saying to his partner, we're attracted to each other. And she says, yeah, I think about you all the time, too, but I'm married. She gets out of the car, yeah. goes into the house, sees her husband. And <laughs> he has a mopey cry. Yeah, about he's it. he's. He is by himself after she goes to bed and sings about how he doesn't feel worthy. And you just think, okay, this is this is where this is going. Yeah. And then in this episode, they're just rolling around in this couple's bed <laughs> yeah. singing. And they, they just sing to each other like, well, I want to have sex in these sheets. <laughs> and there's no, there's absolutely no tension. They've just, there's no uh, sort of sense of we can't do this or any sort of similar sense of restraint from the first episode. They're yeah. just sort of, uh, it, it almost scans platonically. They're just two partners who... Uh, having fun wishing they had a lot of money but then it just goes a little weird we're like we we could make love together in these sheets it's like you can't say that because the whole thing between you guys is supposed to be this unspoken attraction that you won't acknowledge and now you're just rolling around in skimpy clothing in bed together so i think the idea is that you know they're playing house and maybe fantasizing and that's supposed to be sort of the character development i think that's supposed to be the the purpose of the song is to advance the character in in that fashion it advances nothing but, but you're right <laughs> it like, doesn't you know that that tension isn't there and I, I might be going like way off track but i remember honestly like probably a decade ago before 
after the British office did really well, but before the American office had been picked up, the Onion ran an article uh, satirizing kind of what would happen if, you know, Americans picked up the office and all the ways they would ruin it. And one thing that always stuck out with me is that, you know, a show that relied so much on romantic tension between two characters and carrying it out for several seasons, they're like, oh, the American show would never do this. And the American show didn't. Like, American audiences are really impatient to see uh to see romantic subplots be resolved quickly um and i I don't think it helps that in the first episode they established that george costanza just doesn't respect himself enough to be loved in the first place yeah well it's like i mentioned before we started this the first line he sings is a i'm i'm not much to talk to and i know how i look and you can't like what do you have to offer her then you could sing a song about how you know you don't fit the beauty standard because there's an age difference and there's you know she's more conventionally attractive than he is but when your first line about yourself is I'm also not much to talk to, <laughs> like implying you're not much to listen to, you're not much to do anything with, yeah, then, you know, I don't think this is going to work out, fella. Yeah. So I don't think this show is going to waste much more time. I wouldn't be surprised if something happens in the next episode. Like, I, I don't think they're going to try to draw out the sexual tension of that couple because I don't think that's a story or a uh, a motif that resonates well with mainstream audiences. I'm less interested to see if they do or what happens so much as I'm interested to see how Cop Rock will do it badly. <laughs> like, how is... Because this just took the tension from the first episode that's very briefly explored and was just like, fuck it. <laughs> now they're just dancing around in people's... Uh, in, in, in other people's pajamas, clothes, yeah, yeah, rolling around in bed like fuck the tension. And then we're gonna have some fun because we we need to. And there's also sort of a subplot because there's another song later on that touches on the same thing, which is cops don't make a lot of money. Although later on the song is by the captain who probably makes a you know considerable, his, probably a six figure job in 1990 money. Yeah, like enough that his wife should probably be able to afford some painting classes, <laughs> um, but she can't in cop rock because their washing machine broke yeah so she can't she has to um give up the uh anyway we'll get to that point we'll yeah, yeah progressing yeah. chronological yeah yeah, yeah chronological for sure like uh, otherwise this show will make no sense <laughs> um oh so i think one thing that happens next is the chief of police the bad guy from robocop ronnie cox <laughs> is in the office with the mayor and this scene is really strange because she is saying the black community is outraged that uh, this um, this cop killer, cop killer, <laughs> has been killed by the police. In he's been murdered in cold blood. But as far as the cops know, uh, it was he was shot in self defense. Right. So she is saying that the black community is outraged, and she doesn't want um, she doesn't want to look like she's not taking action on it. Yeah. But you know she's corrupt. Right. From the first episode. Yeah. And she's nasty. Yeah. And then Ronnie Cox is saying, no, it was done in self-defense and I'm going to stand by my man. And so neither of them seem to be in the right. Neither of them are particularly sympathetic. Yeah. Russo's a jerk. I yeah. mean, I don't, I don't care that there's a, this tension between the two of them. 
Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't know what that tension says. Like, some... Some characters' arcs, you can tell, like, with LaRusso, it's not just about LaRusso being a bad cop. It's meant to address, you know, police corruption. And, you know, the mayor being corrupt is meant to address a different type of corruption. What their relationship means isn't clear. Like, what what it's supposed to be saying about, yeah, you know, any sort of, like, structural, political... A statement i don't know yeah because i i mean we turned to cop rock for structural political <laughs> statements about I justice know, i didn't know what to think about justice until i started watching this show i don't believe in justice anymore <laughs> um i did points to no justice points to cop rock i think we both laughed at this scene when she pulls out a file and says uh this larusso character's got nine counts of uh excessive 12 counts of excessive force in nine years and uh then she actually says that he's a loose cannon yeah yeah, and it's yeah so totally. you know like we've been waiting totally for is. it we've been waiting yeah. for it uh the whole time but it's a little bit of a bummer that it wasn't the captain who said it who didn't want him off the force and didn't want to yeah you know. he's standing by his man yeah for sure yeah and then and this is this was uh the most shocking part to me when he's in the elevator after they oh, leave, he leaves the meeting. I can't. I think I wrote this down. Oh, um, he has a line where he says, uh, "He's he's like pacing like a caged yeah, tiger because she's kind of she's kind of taking him down a peg." Yeah, he, she says to him, "I I I want Larusso. I'm gonna I want Larusso either off the force or he needs to get in trouble for shooting this guy. And if you get in my way, I'll crush you like a bug." So it cuts to him in the elevator with his uh, his buddy. Yeah. He's pacing back and forth. He can't believe he's been spoken to like this. He says, she spoke to me like I was a dog. And then he says, uh, I, I don't forget how, exactly how he started. Something like back in the old days, yeah, yeah. Uh, you treated a woman like you treat a horse. And I knew, I mean, obviously we yeah. knew that wasn't going anywhere good. <laughs> but it doesn't go somewhere like you, you treat her with respect, but she should do what you say. Yeah. I think what he said was... Uh, you, you, you treat her like a horse... You ride her until she's broken, and then you put a bullet between her yeah. eyes. Yeah, <laughs> like you, you. I mean, you don't do that to horses, first of all. Really, you shouldn't. But to say you treat a horse like you treat a woman, and then you you say you ride her into the ground and then kill her. Yeah. Is and this is a character who is supposed to be a little bit zany. He's supposed to be a little bit. You're supposed to kind of like him. He's the. He's like the. What's the name of the wolf in a wolf pack that jokes around? And sort of intermediates tension. He's supposed to be the tension. What and are you talking says, about? It's a thing. There's a, there's a wolf. And anyway, I, I read it. I read it somewhere once. And they used to be considered like really low in the pecking order, like these kind of goofy wolves. And then, then when they analyze wolf packs more, they're like, no, they play a much more important role. They're actually esteemed in the pack. And they two wolves are fighting. This third one will get involved and just try and play around. Interesting. And make fun of. So anyway, so massive. That's pointless. what Ronnie Cox is. He's, yeah, he's, the, he's the he's the Joker wolf. Yeah, he's the Joker wolf. Except he says you ride a woman to death and shoot <laughs> her to death. Like it's just it's I, it's played for laughs. I it, think it is played it's for laughs. Definitely meant to be something that you find funny, and it scans so badly. It's horrific. I, and then it's definitely aged. I th I think that is a quote unquote joke that fails now because of 
Yeah, just, it fails now to us, whereas maybe in 1990, it did not fail to, like, 30-year-old men who thought, oh, that's pretty funny. But it failed for women just as much as it does now, back then. Like, we, we look at this and say, this dated terribly, and people, are, the women at the time especially, were saying, no, this, this sucks now. It, it didn't date badly. It's, it's now badly. I, I, what, I think it was meant to read as being backwards and offensive in 1990, but the kind of like, you know, grandpa racism of just like, oh, different time, you know, whereas now I think it's like, it's not funny offensive, it's offensive offensive. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's, it's ridiculously, it's pointlessly, stupidly <laughs> offensive. Um, and then, and then we talked about this in the last episode, the scene in the episode where he's in his office, he presses a button. A door opens and a cowboy mannequin comes out and he has to outdraw it. First of all, he has a robot mannequin gunslinger in his <laughs> office, his, his chief of police office. Second of all, he, he gets into a quick draw contest with it and shoots live ammo into it. The most yeah. weird, the most, like you said, this totally optimistic sense of where robotics would be that everyone would have their household or office robot that you could shoot for target practice. He comes in. He reaches for the button again, and both of us immediately are just like, yes, this is why we watch Cop Rock, to see something like this. And sure enough, the door opens up again, and the, the robot cowboy is there again. Yeah. This time he grabs a shotgun. The chief of police is yeah, yeah. firing off a shotgun in, in his, his office. office in the middle of the day, but this time, in front of the cowboy, a cardboard cutout of the mayor, yeah. who he's just had a fight with, Flips over, yeah. and he blows her in half, yeah. and then laughs about it. And again, it's supposed to be a funny when this guy scans like a psychotic lunatic, <laughs> and b it's supposed to be something because the rest of the show is a gritty cop procedural. Now imagine a scene in NYPD Blue where the guy has a robot mannequin <laughs> and is shooting off a shotgun in his office. It's it's the third tonally jarring thing in Cop Rock. Yeah. The gunslinging chief of police, the songs, and then the cop drama. It is the weirdest. I I would like to say I think he's my favorite character. I though. I well until that like you shoot a woman when she you've ridden him to the ground. I I like that. I like that they think he's someone the show needs. I I I think he is supposed to be the comic relief. Yeah. I mean, he's the only character that I think is played for laughs. Yeah, and how does the episode start? Again, him solemnly in uniform, yeah. giving a very heartfelt, straight-faced, emotionally poignant eulogy to the dead cop. And yeah. then the next thing you know, he's firing off his gun in his office again. Like, it's... It's next-level bonkers. <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel he's the connective tissue of the show because you have these songs that are surreal and weird. And then you have this gritty, like very realistic type show. And he's kind of the bridge that connects them tonally. Like, I don't think he really fits in the gritty realness either, but he seems like, no, he has a robot cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what? We should talk about this too. I found out that there is a shared universe uh, with this show yeah, and with, with um, Hill Street with Blues, Hill Street Blues, and I think L.A. Law, L.A. Law. The characters from both L.A. Law and Hill Street Blues will will be in this. 
I wouldn't um, recognize them because I've not seen those shows. Yeah, yeah, we'd have to do our research, but the same actors with the same character names will be be in this because it's the uh, cop rock verse. So I I like the idea, like you're saying, you know, I've never watched NYPD Blue and seen a chief of police with a robot uh, cowboy, but it's entirely plausible. Like there's a shared universe now. That character exists in the continuity of other shows, and yeah it would be interesting to see him cross over after the mayor has been ripped to shreds in effigy. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, I think we cut back to the weird B, B story about the break in at the rich people's home. Um, I'm guessing it's the, the maid or the, the housekeeper had been attacked and yeah, she was hit by something tied up by people who broke in and stole all the wealthy people's obnoxiously, uh, expensive stuff. So, she's a witness and they pull her into a, like a, a, a police, police lineup, lineup yep. to, to kind of finger the perp. And <laughs> there's gotta be a better way to say that, right? To identify <laughs> no, the no, criminal. No, she fingered I mean, the perp. if you want to use Mike, cop language Mike, while we didn't finger the perp. Mike, okay. she fingered the perp. She's brought in to finger the perp. Uh, so we have five um, suspects lined up against the wall, you know, measuring their heights and such. And, uh, there's some kind of heavy, I don't want to say hip hop, but like heavy beat, like danceable beat playing in the background as they're lining yeah. up and you know, it's coming the, the wall that they're lined up against recedes, recedes into yeah. the background, like a Jamiroquai video <laughs> <laughs> and the five suspects start dancing. They're all Latino and the song is about how they have been racially profiled and how it's not fair that they're singled out every time a crime goes down. Uh, of course, them complaining about being racially profiled has not... Uh, that theme has obviously not 100% reached the writers of the song who have very much typecast the type of song it is. It's a very clearly like a menudo... Boy band. Song, yeah they're doing you know? um coordinated dance moves with like the fists in front of the face and uh hopping about yeah it's yeah. a boy band song it's a boy band song but there's a lot of like latino slang being employed in a way that i'm not sure any actual human uses like it feels very white people writing for hispanic people yeah so the irony i took from this song is that the song is all about like we won't be stereotyped meanwhile they are walking talking stereotypes yeah the other irony of the song is that they are all singing about how they've been profiled they were all minding their own business that uh, i think one of, in the chorus they they, they rhyme coppertone skin with you think we've committed a terrible <laughs> sin they're very angry that they've been rounded up for this but the irony is one of them did do it yeah <laughs> he's guilty as hell and she, the the maid who is uh, trying to finger the perp, is um, she's in on it. So she doesn't she doesn't identify the guy who did it. So they're all singing about how they've been racially profiled. They shouldn't be there. But one of them is is guilty. He's he yeah. uh, he did steal everything, and he's also beating her up. Like yeah, he's a, he's a terrible person. Yeah, uh, they have a established relationship, I believe. Yeah, she uh, Larusso. Uh, 
manages. Well, there's a weird... He's interrogating her, and there's a weird scene where two of the cops leave, and it's just LaRusso and his partner, and he kind of smells her. Yeah, it gets a little rapey. Yeah, well, he says, you smell good, and his partner's like, hey... LaRusso, cut it out come on and and i and it wasn't a good cop bad cop thing so you're like were you smelling her to make her uncomfortable for the purposes of the interrogation or are you also a molester like are you someone who molests people and shoots people who are unarmed and force feeds them coffee and makes them oh, pee their pants yeah. well yeah but that's that's that was different like that's he's in the first episode he forced he's forcing coffee on a guy who really needs to pee then punches him in the stomach but it's because he's trying to get a confession so you think he you, you think he might are they setting this character up who then goes home to his wife but treats her really well because all he wants is justice yeah and then in this you're like okay no you're also a hair touching uh, <laughs> neck sniffer i be uh, yeah like on that note i think in the last episode we commented a lot on they're not really being characters to root for that everyone was so damn unlikable and whether they were going for sort of like a moral ambiguity or what, it just felt like everyone was kind of shitty. And in this episode, I feel like they backpedal from that a bit and try to kind of define villains and heroes a little bit better. Yeah. So I think the mayor is probably still ambiguous. Ronnie Cox. They've definitely established his character. Like now we know that wasn't a weird anomaly in that first episode. Like he is going to keep, doing weird yeah <laughs> next level bonkers things yeah uh, in between very solemn uh eulogies for cops he will gun down cardboard effigies and <laughs> yeah. cowboy mannequins but we now know larusso is like unambiguously bad like yeah they've well es- they've established him as like now he's rapey and creepy he's un he's, he's unredeemable well he might be it doesn't matter that he killed a man in cold blood yeah you know i don't know they might he might not be he might be like ronnie cox he might be not he's 2016 unredeemable yeah but he might not be 1990 <laughs> uh in 1990 they might be like well you know you can you can smell her as long as you don't do anything else <laughs> and you can't shoot people in cold blood but come on everybody he was a cop killer you gotta kill the cop killer like they might I, I think they might expect people to have more sympathy for LaRusso than we actually do. We think he's just a dick. Okay. But I think at the time they were like, he's a dick, but he's a dick you love to love. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll put a pin in that. Um, yeah, LaRusso? I, I still say we've now established two heroes of like two people who seem to be unambiguously good. And that would be Captain Hollander... Yeah. You know, we get to see his family. We know he's like a, you know, a family man. Straight shooter. Straight shooter. He believes in justice. And then, um, as far as I can tell, a new character, I don't remember him at all in the last episode. He's kind of the young, I'm guessing, rookie on the force who's very optimistic. And uh, maybe we'll get into him a little bit oh, later. Oh, well, actually, that's another subplot. Is In the last episode, the cop gets killed. His partner is devastated there's a very unconvincing scene where he's on top of his dead partner kind of banging his head into the concrete (laughs) saying don't don't die on me man don't die on me and you know i think i made a joke at the time like the the forensics are gonna say this guy wasn't killed by gunshots his head was slammed (laughs) into the concrete by someone so in that episode he's doing weights back at the uh um where is the house where cops live the cop house? The cop, yeah, the cop house, <laughs> the precinct. 
He's doing weights. And the captain comes by and says, uh, I don't want you on the streets for a while. And I want you to get all the help you need. And the guy's kind of tearing up. He's lost his partner. Uh, and the captain's telling him, like, and you've got my number. You call it if you need anything. And, uh, and then in this episode, the captain's like, hey, here's your new partner. He's this annoying rookie who sings too much. Get back out there, buddy. And there's no, there's no sort of development of his um, trauma and stress from losing his partner. That's where they were setting it up. And now they just put him with this uh, rookie who is, he's got a new partner because the reason the cop killer got shot is because these two plainclothes cops barged into his house without a warrant. Yeah. And so when the other cops arrived with a warrant, he was going to get let go. Yeah. So he's a terrible cop. You're right. And I guess you're supposed to feel he's kind of this, uh, he's, he's really annoying his partner's, um, his partner in the car because he's singing all this Motown stuff. And you're not sure if... There's obviously a sort of a race commentary going on because uh, the new rookie is a white guy, his partner's black, and there's a scene where the rookie wants to break into a guy's car to turn the lights off to do the guy a good turn. The guy comes running out, getting angry at them, and the guy the guy who's angry that his car's being broken into by cops is black. Yeah. So then the black cop... black. Uh, car owner <laughs> yeah. are shouting at each other and the cop smashes his window he's so mad and then the white guy is like kind of inter- intervenes hey, and yeah. kind of de-escalates the whole situation here's my name and number just give me an estimate on the paint job we wrecked and the broken rearview mirror and we'll uh, you know just uh, don't even worry about getting different estimates it's, everything's cool <laughs> and and then he gives him like a black man high five at the end you know the, the yeah whole, the, sort of low the <laughs> hand i don't know what what the writers thought would maybe show you can't tell if he is a white guy who is trying to appropriate black culture <laughs> you can't tell if he is a rookie who 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 is going to keep trying to do kind things and get in trouble you don't know if he's someone who his virtue is that he does kind things or if he's going to get shot for it it's so murky and not satisfying when you're trying to figure out who this character is and how he exists and how he's going to get along with his partner that's not how i read that at all to me it seemed very intentional to set him up as as the good guy like the unambiguous good guy the the virtuous person who's always trying to do the right thing who's always trying to de-escalate you know, he's he's the the level-headed white guy de-escalating the <laughs> the fiery passions of the the black man. Like it was a little uh, it was a little hard to watch, and it was it was not really convincing and, either. That... And and the weird thing is, so this guy loves Motown. Apparently, this this white worky loves Motown, and he's very conversant in black hand gestures, uh, and. It's it's kind of weird. It, you know that scene in an airplane where that old lady has oh, to translate. Jive. She speaks jive, and that's what I was getting from this guy. Like they're trying to set him up as like he speaks the street. You know he likes black music, even though it's at this point like thirty years old. And yeah, although what was stupid about that is he's he's like yeah, Diana Ross, you know Gladys Knight and the Pips, and he's trying to show that he's really into Motown by naming all these Motown artists who I know as someone who doesn't know much about <laughs> Motown. It's like, if you 
If, I think if you were really an expert in this, it's just like writers who took all the Motown people they knew and put them into this character's mouth so he would look like he knew. Whereas I just thought he sounded like a guy who knew that he has one greatest hits album. Totally. I think this show reads very much like a a, a show written by white people for white people about not white people. But also about white people. Like, <laughs> some white people. Yeah. But it's really transparent in some ways that the writing room might not know what they're talking about. but And probably isn't diverse. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. That the, that the writing room is probably pretty white. They probably don't know what they're talking about. But the fact that their viewership is probably mostly white, it, it doesn't matter. Like, they don't have to do their research. They don't have to do their due diligence. It's... Yeah, you well, they think they are. Their, their due diligence is their preconceptions, for sure, about how crime works. And yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. Then there's a. I think after this, the captain goes up to the uh, forensics guy and says, "I know right. you. I know you uh, made a fake report." And then he goes to the forensics guy's wife and says, "Your husband's going to be in big trouble if I find out." if I can prove that he botched the report. So she goes to her husband in bed and says, did you fake the report? And he says, yeah, you know, I wouldn't, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't lie to you. I don't want a cop killer to, you know, I don't want a cop to go down for killing a cop killer. <laughs> and she says, well, you aren't, you know, you don't look like the same guy to me anymore. I thought you were a guy who told the truth and he Who's gets huffy and goes downstairs and then, you know, this is why I'll continue to bang the drum of musicals not being a legitimate medium. <laughs> um, that's where it should have ended. Like the sort of, yeah, uh, one of the sort of um, cruxes of fiction is like sh show, don't tell. Yeah. And it doesn't end. She sings a song. Yeah. She, she just pulls out the, the obvious club and starts beating us <laughs> over the head with all these lyrics that don't need to be said for an emotion that doesn't need to be explained, except it's also unconvincing because she's saying to herself, is this maybe not really love? And it's like, you're, you're married, you've been together. You can't <laughs> decide now, like maybe I'm not in love as if this isn't something you've thought about before. This one episode that happened 30 seconds ago, <laughs> It's this clumsy song with bad lyrics that doesn't really address the loss of trust that doesn't need to be in there because totally. you could have just left the camera on her face for five seconds and that would have said it all. Absolutely. If they insisted on putting a song in that scene, the song should have been the argument, not the aftermath of the argument because that is redundant. We, you can, you're right. You can see in one like slow motion pan in on her face, you know, all soap opera style, exactly how she feels about it. What they do is get all the meat of that scene out of the way and then do the song when the song should be the meat. Otherwise, it's just superfluous and unnecessary. Yeah, these songs are not the meat. No, they're... They're, they're very uh, rarely the meat. No, they're almost always... Like, it feels... <laughs> it feels like they had a time requirement. They wrote a series of half an hour episodes and then found out that they had an hour block to fill. So they decided to throw in all of these songs just to fill time. It feels like, you know, 
an eighth grader who's like two pages under his page limit on an essay and just like needs yeah. to put something in it. Yeah, you could call the show Page Limit. That <laughs> <laughs> Page Limit, yeah, the that's... musical exclamation point. <laughs> yeah, it's they just shoehorn this stuff in when it's not needed. Um, when they they sing things that don't even need to be said. Yeah, like it's you know the, you can't you do a musical where you you're gonna sing things to communicate things, but nothing they sing even needs to be said in the first place. Yeah, one hundred percent. So uh, and there's a weird there's a weird line in it, and I can't remember how it goes, but it's something like if this isn't love, <laughs> then God only knows what it is and who's listening up there. She's implying that God isn't telling her what love is. So who's listening up in heaven? And I don't know. The lyric makes no sense. <laughs> it's not that there is no God. It's not, is God listening to me? It's, so who is listening to me up in heaven if God isn't then? It's so clumsy. It's like written by bad lyricists. I, I was writing some notes in in my book as that line happened and there was nothing but silence and the soundtrack of the show going on. And I was startled from my writing by, by Mike, just like sitting up and just being, that doesn't make sense. (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? We should come up with a name for the wife. Um, Come up. She has a name. Yeah. Is it Tina? I don't know. That's the other thing about this show. We never remember anyone's name. No, I, she reminds me of, uh, Detective Einhorn from uh, from Ace Ventura. Uh, really? Same hair. Kind of China doll complexion. No? Uh, like Sean, what's her name? Yeah. Sean. Yeah, yeah. From uh, Blade Runner. Yeah. Um, anyway, we'll call her Tina for now. More, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> Tina. So Tina has obviously swayed her husband, who has maybe not overtly falsified information to back up uh LaRusso. LaRusso. The unforgettable LaRusso. Don't forget LaRusso. <laughs> uh yeah, so so Tina has kind of confronted her husband about backing up LaRusso and uh makes him think twice about what he's done and perhaps uh you know maybe it was dishonest of him and out of character for him and maybe needs to be rectified. Uh so then I think we cut to Captain Hollander at his home? Yeah. He comes in. His wife uh, happily says, oh, I canceled the painting courses because the washing machine broke and we can't afford that. And he starts singing a very Bob Seagrish song. It was wrong <laughs> when I said all the songs were the same. We had the song last episode that was... Uh, a Steve Miller Steve ripoff. Miller, and this one, yeah. was, he sounds a lot like Bob Seagrish. Yeah. Like, he's the cop rock Bob, Bob Seagrish. <laughs> And uh, he's singing about how it's all worth it at the end of the day, though, because he comes home to his family. But then she, his wife starts singing, and she has a line that uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's almost up there with um with uh, the guy in the elevator saying you should write a woman and shoot her. <laughs> she sings something like, "If you want the if you want to if you want the life of a cop or want to be the in a family with a cop." Uh, the dreams and wishes drown in dirty dishes, but that's my job. <laughs> and she's saying that she's making the n- noble sacrifice of um, <laughs> foregoing any of her interests or hobbies to do the dishes and cook dinner for her husband and look after the kids. Not that these aren't 
important things that need to be done, but is definitely saying that that is it is her job and responsibility as a woman yeah. to make her priorities secondary to his career. And that dirty dishes are, you know, he he's not doing the dishes. He's yeah. had a hard day at work. He's been trying to pin shit on LaRusso. He's trying to take LaRusso down. He does not have time to come back and cook and do the dishes. That's her job. Yeah. Uh, but he's not as squeaky clean as he lets on either. He let, he let, uh, he let someone off of a parking ticket as a favor oh yeah well yeah apparently he you know i mean that's discretionary although in the last <laughs> the last episode it, it implies he had a hair on him that wasn't his oh right but we don't know i mean again they they don't that's how the show just suggests things and then drops that's them. actually a really big point well it might not be though you can't tell because this show is so badly done yeah in the last episode he's at the urinal with forensics guy yeah forensics guy says oh well, he's complaining a, about his prostate first yeah he's going <laughs> oh that was a pretty long you know yeah. litany of complaints regarding his <laughs> prostate that no one cares about it doesn't come up in this episode yeah. so and then he sees a hair on captain uh, hollander captain hollander's jacket while uh, they're zipping up and he says oh that's not your wife's that's uh, uh like female hair not your wife's blonde yeah. and I guess it implies that maybe a woman's hair was on him who he's having an affair with, but he's also in a crowded uh, cop house. What if so it was maybe, that crack mom? Yeah. Who, She's blonde. But then in this episode, nothing happens. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it could be the crack mom because he's interviewing her and yeah. shit. Like, you don't know if that was supposed to go somewhere or not. Yeah. I think maybe they'll just make it up as they go. I don't think it is, actually, because the song he was singing would have been... The way Cop Rock does stuff like this is if he was seeing someone else, that song when he came in and kissed his wife would have been like, I've got a terrible secret. I've got a woman on the side. I try to be a good man, but I can't make up my mind. But it's not. It's just as unambiguously, I'm happy all the time. Things are kind of tough. Making money's kind of rough, but I love my wife. Yeah. Uh, that scene concludes with, uh, with the crime scene investigator tina's husband vicky's husband yeah, vicky vicky it was vicky yeah. yeah with uh with einhorn's husband <laughs> <laughs> who uh who shows up at hollander's house and confesses that he doesn't think larusso's story adds up yeah because the the captain was saying well his his hands looked like they were handcuffed and he makes that the big thing but yeah but forensics guy um you got to try and remember his name. Yeah. He says, well, no, because he, he doesn't really confess that he he messed up the report on purpose. He just says, well, I've been going over this other stuff. And it doesn't and, work great. Yeah, LaRusso says he was reaching for a gun, but it looks like he was just standing there when he got shot. Yeah. And then he says, you went to my wife. You told her I was going to get in big trouble. You're having a nice dinner in there with your family. How would you like it if I did that to you? Yeah. And then he sort of storms off in a half. Yeah. And then, uh, and then credits. Yeah, credits just ended like that. It was, seemed uh, like a shorter episode. I don't know if it was, but uh, it was certainly a less action-packed. I, I felt the pace was slower. Yeah, the only gunshot was the shotgun that disintegrated the cardboard <laughs> the mayor. mayor in uh, the office. Yeah, it's definitely a slower episode. There's definitely a contemplative episode of Cop Rock establishment. A, a very yeah. special episode of yeah, Cop Rock. Reflective. Um. I don't know. I, I think Mike and I ended up having very different opinions of how this episode went. I found it much more cohesive than previous episodes. I felt maybe I've just 
Well, it, we've seen it, one episode. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I. We should be clear, but I've either internalized the logic of cop rock and find the musicals much less jarring. Yeah. That's how they get you. (laughs) Uh, Like I've acclimated to the weirdness of the show or this episode was less weird. I found it. I found the musicals weirder in this because in the last show they were a bit more, you know, zany corrupt mayor. Yeah. Had a song. Um, they're definitely more rousing songs in the first episode. Yeah, and these ones were more boring, but they were also... I thought they were more pointless. The one with the mayor, you're setting up She's Corrupt. Yeah. Okay, we own the streets. Okay, that makes sense in the context. The You're Guilty, where they sing a guilty verdict to a guy. Yeah. But in this one, they're all tacked on. They're all pointless. They're all boring. They're all not necessary. You could have cut them all out and... It I wouldn't mean, have affected the show in any way. Yeah. Actually, that's a really good point. I don't... None of these episodes or none of those uh, songs in this episode are integral to the episode at all. Like we I don't, well, we, I don't know if any of them are. We, we could get rid of the, the gospel song at the funeral. It's already established everyone's sad. You don't need yeah. the song to hammer that home. Yeah, because they do a eulogy first. So when the partner goes up and sings a song, you're kind of bored being in that church sure. during the funeral now. It's totally. time to move on because you don't even know the guy. They don't even have a picture <laughs> of him, I don't think. It's like, fuck it. And then Who the cares? Ne- the next song is the couple... The, the partner's playing house in in the at the crime scene. And yeah. maybe that will have ramifications down the road, but at least within the context of this singular episode, really doesn't do anything. Yeah, it's not a song that... If it, anything, it undermines... Yeah. Like, already established uh, character trajectories. Yeah, it undermines the trajectory, and other than that, is providing a totally unnecessary commentary on how they would like a nice tv right then the next song is that like menudo latino boy band thing yeah okay now if you want to make a song about how you feel unfairly profiled racially profiled okay i can that that you could make a point and and try and feed some anger into the song the thing is you don't even see these guys getting arrested you don't see them minding the wrong business yeah, yeah. there's no politics of uh, the Latino community in the show before this that leads you into why they might be singing a song about being angry. Yeah. It's just that by virtue of being in there, they are angry. Yeah. There's, there's sort of, um, well, no, I don't, I don't know if I'd say there's any explicit sort of race politics in it yet, but you've at least had, you've got black cops, you've had some black criminals and you have interactions which um there was one interaction in this episode that was sort of dancing around maybe being um a, a bit uh race based um let's see the white cop black cop talking yeah to yeah for sure yeah um totally. but the latino thing just comes out of nowhere it's like okay i cop shop cop rock has something to say <laughs> about latinos too now they just throw it in there like it, it it's just deposited into the middle of the episode if if that song does anything it just confuses the politics of the show which yeah, I feel like the songs, by and large, are much less conservative than the show is. Yeah, you get the feeling that the 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 five writers who equal one Randy Newman, <laughs> yeah. who wrote this song, 
we're trying to write a song where they're like, yeah, we're going to give these people a voice about how they are unfairly profiled yeah. and they're rounded up whenever someone needs to try and pin the blame on something. And then the writers of the actual show were like, yeah, but we're going to make one of them. They, he actually did it. <laughs> and so, and then the, the songwriter was like, no, that wasn't, no, you, you gotta, you gotta blame someone else. Blame a, a white guy. Cause the whole song is about how this, this shit happens to them all the time. And you can't just assume <laughs> they're guilty. Like, no, 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 no. He was uh, the Latino, um, uh, Maid was was in on it with one of the guys. He's a guilty. Yeah, but it, it's not just this episode. It's like, uh, uh, the crack mom in the last episode had a sad song about like how hard it is to end the cycle of poverty. You have the rap at the beginning about like in these streets we have the power. It seems very yeah, you know community-minded and anti-authoritarian yeah um i'd say like by and large the songs of this show are much more progressive than the show which isn't at all yeah (laughs) (laughs) it's very strange this was a a different watch than i was expecting this episode felt like a different type of show yeah and i think the other thing that's weird about this show I, i brought this up with you earlier is that uh Things are happening that in a show we might watch now would happen over the course of a season, not by the second episode. Yeah. In the first episode, LaRusso, who you barely know, shoots an unarmed perp. Yeah. And before he's fingered. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> well, he's he's been fingered, but then he's been let go. The fingering did nothing. Um, and so what you might expect now is you set up the bad cop Right. Or the, the, the cop who goes over the line, yeah. who roughs people up, who seems to be always on that edge. And over the course of maybe half a season, you show him pushing the boundaries more. And then at some point, he kills a guy. In Cop Rock, they just do it in the first episode. They're like, see what a bad guy is. He killed someone. <laughs> you might even remember his name by the time this episode is done. And then in this one, the entire uh, uh, guilt thing of the forensics guy who's who's made the report look like LaRusso was shooting an armed man or a man reaching for a gun just in one episode again he's like no he didn't do it he didn't do it he didn't do it I didn't I didn't do it oh no he did it he probably did it and it just ends with it just ends with that like where what are the other nine episodes gonna be about I mean there's no there's no development they're just like now this happened I get the feeling that this show was written episode by episode like i i don't know that they necessarily mapped out where they wanted the season to go before because like you can already tell that there are some threads that they don't feel like necessarily pulling on you know like they set up captain hollander to be cheating and it's very possible i wouldn't be surprised if we never hear about that again like they just abandoned that because they wanted a more likable character and like a less ambiguous character and you know boom. Yeah. so they just write that you know little plot line out um i get the sense that a lot of this they're just going to make up as they go yeah i think they just they they kind of maybe wrote the whole 11 season episode in one night yeah. as they <laughs> went maybe did rewrites while they were shooting they're like yeah we just we'll see what sticks just throw it all at the wall and see you know the this episode, are we going to talk about the tension between the... No, they're not even going to mention it. They're just, But they are going to be sort of bouncing on someone's bed. It, it's weird to say that, though, because this episode had so much money in it. 
we can't pretend like it was just thrown together. You know, this was a big deal. A lot of work went into this show. I don't think it's just something that was, you know, slapped together. Like, well, that, I don't that's know. That's what's fascinating about this show is it's not that it's bad out of like negligence. It's willfully bad. Like people tried and failed. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, it's kind of like watching something that's, that's, it's kind of like watching something shitty on the CBC when they try to do... It's like a, a CBC version of an American show where uh, it doesn't work. And by the standards of today, the show looks kind of cheap and shitty at times. Yeah. And, uh, and really underwhelming. And yeah. it seems like an imitative, a pale imitation of something yeah. that... Um, that would have been better in its original incarnation. Yeah. So, yeah, they, they sort of tried hard and they, they shouldn't have. They should have given up very quickly. This is one of those cautionary tales where, you know, like Homer Simpson, like, just quit. <laughs> if something's hard, quit. And... Yeah. I don't know. I, I want to get to know more about Stephen Bochco because I feel that this is one of those, like, Icarus stories. This is... This is the Titanic. This is a case of like one man's hubris, you know. Yeah, but not like Icarus flying, like flies with homemade wings, wings and goes too close to yeah, the sun. Yeah, yeah. He just goes right off a cliff and into the <laughs> sea. The wings don't work. It's not, you know, it's not this sort of genius invention that, uh, and then the, you know, just flew too close to the sun. It's like, no, you never should have strapped those on in the first place. That was a terrible idea. People can't fly. Uh, that's awesome. I think that's a, probably a good place to, to end this podcast. Um, we should probably go out on a song, though. Um, is there a particular song you think we should use to play ourselves out? Uh, what songs were there again? Not the not the funeral one. Let's let's, so let's let that there, one be. There was the Testament. Uh, there's the playing house one. There was the boy band song. Uh, uh, let's do the playing house one. That that was just that one was next level bonkers, crazy cuckoo cry amazing. Yeah, yeah, we want. We want um, a VCR for you and me. Two VCRs, <laughs> one for you, one for me. <laughs> Color TV with a remote. <laughs> um, yeah, cool. So uh, we're going to cr- try to keep uh, pumping these things out uh, every so often. So uh, subscribe to the channel if you'd like to. Um, I wonder how long until we start finishing these episodes of Cop Rock with nosebleeds and <laughs> memory loss or something. <laughs> yeah, just like the the... Episode 12 of this podcast is just going to talk about the ways that this podcast has affected our personal lives. Yeah, this is like, like ruined our, relationships, you know. Yeah, this is our Everest. <laughs> a, 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 ter- a terrible physical toll on our bodies, our relationships destroyed. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, not to uh, overuse the the uh, the imagery because I've already used it once in this podcast, but we are Ahab and this is our white whale and we will do anything we need to do to understand this show. Yeah. But it will end with (laughs) us, uh, harpooned to the side of it (laughs) as it plunges into the depths with our screaming bodies. So there you go. All you 12 year olds who have, uh, have papers to write. Uh, you can skip the 500 pages of that awful book and just know that Ahab gets harpooned to the side of a whale. (laughs) So on that note, guys, uh, Tune in for next episode, and as always, let's be careful out there.
You want a picky? <laughs> I try not to want things I'm never going to have. That's the difference between you and me. I want what I want. Big screen, color TV, remote control to turn it on. A VCR, one for you and me. They got a wall of fountain in the john. It's a long way from the thin blue line up to this pleasure dome. Come on in, sit right down, make yourself at home. This is what the good life looks like. How do people get so much? This is what the big time feels like. Take a look, but don't touch.